that several mo- mo- mothers who saw that earlier were getting really nervous as <laughs> they watched that. How in the world am I going to pull that off? I don't know. Um, but anyway, we are celebrating Mother's Day today. And there are, that was from a different culture, and we're in today. And what we're going to look at in this series is God's guidance that crosses all cultures. We're going to dig into what his intent for the family is, what his intent for manhood is, and womanhood in this. Uh, But today we're celebrating mothers. Uh, Moms play an extremely significant role in the family, and Godly mothers add a very sweet fragrance like a costly perfume to family life that men just can't pull off. Not that I I don't want to put men down at all, but sweet fragrance, costly perfume does not come to mind when I think of men. That's a unique role that women play in the family life that that we have. And uh, in the series that we're starting today, we're celebrating God's design family, uh, for how men and women each have something very unique. They have a unique set of strengths and a crucial role to play in family life. So this week we're going to dig into how God's wired family uh, together and his intent in that. In every part of our lives, there's picture perfect and there's reality. You know, we saw that, that role in with the, the picture perfect. And in some some folks' minds, that's picture perfect. Uh, But there's always picture perfect and my reality. We have an image in mind, and uh, then we try to pull that image off, and and then we deal with reality. This happens to me every time I try to draw something on a whiteboard. I have, say it's a person. I have an image in my mind, and I start drawing, and people are usually watching me because I'm teaching something, and then it, it becomes humorous because it's not even close to what I had in my mind. You know, there's reality of Randy's artistic ability that shows up. There's, there's always this discrepancy between picture perfect and reality. The art of Picasso is very popular. Here's, here's one of his, his paintings called Man with Straw Hat. You can tell it's sort of a man, um, but fragmented. He he was from a he started a a movement in art called Cubism. It's sort of fragmented, and there's a lot of depth to it. I'm sure there's a lot of meaning to it that that I'm not going to take the time to pull out, nor am I going to try to even understand it at this point in my life. But the reason I think Picasso and and painters like him sort of resonated with people is because there's the ideal, there's the ideal and then there's real. And this is more kind of how maybe we feel inside sometimes, a little fragmented, a little cubed up, a little not really normal. Because there's this reality that we live. We have an image in our hearts and minds of picture perfect and then we experience what really is and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful. Uh, moms, I know, have a tendency to beat themselves up if they're not perfect or if they're not pulling this picture off that they have in their minds. It's very easy uh, for any of us to beat themselves up if we can't pull off what we think we should. What we're going to do in this series is 
we're going to go back to God's ideal, God's intent, God's design for family, marriage, and men and women. And like I said, there's always picture perfect contrasted with reality. And we'll all have different responses to the picture perfect family. Um, Some of the ideal picture that we have in our mind is the result of what God has put in us. We have innately this sense of what really should be the ideal. Because Scripture says we're made in the image of God. We're going to look at this in a moment. Our picture is skewed by sin because we've all chosen to rebel against God. But we have this innate sense that uh, there is this ideal that we should be moving toward. What God wants. He's put it in us. Um, There are a couple things I want to remind you of as we look at God's ideal. As we contrast what he says with with our own families. Um, First thing is, nobody is perfect. None of us. Nobody is. We all struggle. And no matter uh, the appearances, there are no perfect people in in the world. There there are no perfect people. There are no perfect families. Uh, We all fall short of perfection. Um, We weren't raised in a perfect family. Our upbringing wasn't perfect. I really appreciate my mom and dad, but they weren't perfect. Our family wasn't perfect. Um, And we don't have a perfect family now. Could you imagine trying to pull off what we saw in that roll-in? (laughs) <laughs> you'd find out very quickly everybody has a mind of their own and it's it's a battle so as i look at what we're looking at today i want to remind you that there was only one perfect person in the world jesus christ and he is very very gracious very gracious very kind and he wants to help you wherever you're at in relation to his ideal He wants to help you take the next step toward him and toward his ideal. And he's very gracious in helping you do that. The second thing is that the more we choose to live according to God's design, the more we experience God's blessing. So we're not perfect. We fall short. But the case is the more we move toward God, what what God wants from us, the more we experience his blessing and God wants to he wants to bless you and I in the middle of our reality. He, he wants to use family life to teach us and grow us and bless us and shape us. You may be discouraged with your story to this point with what's gone on in family life it may be discouraging to you. But it's important to remember that you're somewhere in the middle of your story, likely somewhere in the middle And God is writing your story mostly based on your responses and choices to him and his purpose for you. Most of the twists and turns in your story are going to be related to your understanding of God's will and your decisions to either line up or not. And so we're looking at all this so that we can be encouraged to move toward God's design. What he wants. He's laid out some specifics on what he wants from family life. So we're going to go back to the very beginning and look what family 
is according to God and why it matters. Not, not so we get discouraged and frustrated, but so we can take the next step toward doing what he wants and fulfilling our role, playing our role faithfully in the family as God designed by his grace. God's original design for the family. Let's look at this. Genesis 1, 27, 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. This is, we're created in the image of God. This is why we have this sense, this innate sense of the ideal in the world. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This is called the great mandate. It's what it's referred to as. And the reason is there is so much wrapped up in this passage that God mandated for human beings to do. Uh, Science is wrapped up in here. Exploration is wrapped up in here. The sense of dominion means that you subdue something, you get, you you rule over it, and you make it useful for your for your needs. That's the idea here. But for our purpose today, you can see God's design for the family. This goes way back to the beginning of time. A man and a woman who are commanded to fill the earth. In order to fill the earth and multiply, both a man and woman are needed. You can't multiply without both. You need them both. This is God's design. Marriage of a man and a woman as a building block of families. This this is not cultural. This is according to creation. This is the way God made things. And the way in the Bible that you understand whether something is cultural, um, this definition of family today is being debated in our culture as maybe that's outdated. What the Bible says is outdated. It's just a cultural approach to family life. But in the Bible, the way that you understand whether something is cultural or timeless and transferable across all cultures is where does it appeal to? This, this comes from creation. This is going way back to the way God made us. It doesn't come from culture. So you can see this is God's definition. Since the command is given before any culture ever existed. In fact, in this command, uh, the, the mandate to create cultures exists. It's right there. And so, uh, since this command is given before any culture existed, it shows that this is God's pattern for all time. All marriages to follow. This is his way. In chapter 2, you see more of God's design and intent. Genesis 2, 23. God created the woman out of the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Um, Jesus quoted this passage when he was asked about marriage at one point. He was asked about marriage and divorce. And this shows that he held, in his day, the same definition uh, that was established in the beginning of time. The definition didn't change, and it does not change throughout the entire Scripture. 
Later in the New Testament, Christ followers are told that marriage is to be honored by all. Why is that? Why? That marriage itself, not people in the marriage honoring the other one, but marriage itself as an institution is to be honored by all. Why does God make a big deal out of that? Because this is God's will. This is His intent. This is crucial to the establishment of cultures and societies. It's, it's actually marriage and family is the building block of every society. Secondly, second to the fact that this is what God wants is that there are all kinds of benefits to those who get married and stay committed to one another over the long haul. All kinds of benefits. There's a book uh, I didn't put in your outline, but it's called The Case for Marriage. You, you can read about the ben- benefits. It's a secular book. It's not a Christian book. It's written by Linda Waite and Maggie Gallagher. And they show, compared to uh, marriage and couples who are living together outside of marriage, they show the benefits of marriage. You live longer. You're healthier. Uh, you're, finan- you're more financially stable. Um, you're, you're happier. That, that's, that's why God makes a big deal out of this. Not only because it's His will, it's His design, but because this is where you find His blessing. You find His blessing in doing life His way. One of God's core purposes in marriage, which relates to Mother's Day today, uh, is to raise godly children. And when we honor the vow we made to God and grow our marriage relationship, it's a beautiful thing for the kids to watch. Not a perfect thing, but a beautiful thing. Because what they see, the kids of parents who live this out, who live God's way, they get an audiovisual instruction manual on how to do relationships His way and how to live life His way. Not perfect. But it's a beautiful thing. For instance, when family's making plans, if mom and dad are considerate of one another, they're thinking through uh, what would the other person prefer. The kids see that. What a picture of love. That's real love. Consideration. What, What a great picture. And then if... A parent doesn't do that. Say, you know, you're making plans and there's tension because you want to do one thing, the other wants to do another. If one parent wrongs the other in anger, then they make it right. The kids see, hey, I don't have to be perfect, but if I blow it, I need to take the right steps. I need to do the right thing. I need to make it right. Conflict can actually be an opportunity for the kids to know that they don't have to be perfect. They only need to respond in the right way, in love, when they aren't. As parents live in faith, as they give of themselves sacrificially, uh, both to the kids and to others, they give their time, their money, they serve, the kids see God come through to meet their needs as they're looking to the needs of others. And God comes through every time. He provides what's needed. This is a great picture. So this is God's intent in family life, for it to be a laboratory for kids to see who God is, how to live His way, and how He comes through. 
God's desire is for strong families to raise strong kids who really make a difference in their world and bless it. God wants marriage to be honored because it pleases Him. It makes Him happy. It makes strong kids. It makes strong people. And it strengthens society at a level that nothing else has the opportunity to strengthen it. A society is built on the strength and trustability of its agreements. One reason we need to honor marriage and, and the vow that's made on the wedding day is because the strength of our nation is founded on the strength of these, these kinds of commitments, and this commitment particularly. Marriage and family commitments are the building blocks to the establishment of any society. There's a British anthropologist uh, named J.D. Unwin. I think there's a picture of him. He wrote a book called Sex and Culture. He's a contemporary of Sigmund Freud. And Sigmund Freud came out advocating sexual liberation and freedom. And so Unwin, what Unwin did is he did a study on um, the impact of cultures who went that direction that Freud was encouraging uh, people to go in his, his writings. And what Unwin discovered in relation to Freud's call to sexual liberation is that it had grave consequences for society. In his research, Unwin chronicled the historical decline of 86 cultures, 86 different cultures, and he found that sexual restraint was central for the expansive energy of a culture to grow and the ability of that culture to grow and stay healthy. In fact, now this is, this is his conclusion, no society ever flourished for more than three generations without a commitment to sexual restraint. Marriage and how we define it really matters. It, it matters to us, to our kids, and our culture at large. So we need to honor marriage. This is all tied into why God wants us to honor marriage and His design for it. Very, very important to Him. And whenever God gives us the freedom to live our own way, but when we veer off the path, we're heading toward dangerous territory. God's gracious and kind and loving. And He, he helps families that get broken up. But it's His desire that wherever we are, we intend to hold fast to this commitment. Your upbringing family, uh, your upbringing may not be perfect. Your family today may not be perfect. You may be experiencing some of the damage from broken vows. But remember, you're in the middle of your story. And, and God's going to write the rest of your story based on your decision today, whether or not you're going to go His way and follow His path. And God gives grace and help to all who set out to follow His design. Living by God's will and design helps the next generation thrive. You see that in Unwin's study, but that's, this is in Scripture all along. <laughs> this, is what, this is what God's been trying to show us in the Bible, is that living His way by His design helps generation after generation thrive. Our own story, what happens in families is, 
our own story, the parent's story, becomes a part of our children's and their children's story in a very real way. Our lives have a ripple effect or a trickle-down effect in the lives of the following generation. God wants us to live with this in mind. We don't tend in our world to think beyond right now very often. But in terms of family life as parents and as members of families, God really wants us to step back and look at this generationally. You see God's desire for this in Psalm 78. Let's read through this together. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell in the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. There's this perpetual relay of God's truth and God's works in our own life. God wants us to keep handing them off to the next generation. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep the commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This passage shows us how to impact the next generation in the right way. It shows us how to make the most of this ripple effect because the ripple, the trickle down is going to happen one way or the other. So how do we make the most of it? First, we ourselves incline our ear to God's word, to God's truth. And we want to be careful to communicate God's faithfulness to our kids. Look again at verse 3 and 4. It says, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us we will not hide from their children. We will not hide from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. We keep telling stories. We keep telling the stories about God's work in our lives. It's one thing we do. Every family has stories, don't they, that circulate? I don't know about We've got some pretty good stories in our family. Pretty funny. I'm not going to share most of them right now. Most of the funny ones. Some are fun, uh, some are embarrassing. Those are the ones I'm not going to share. Um, and some are very, very meaningful. We want to be careful to share stories that give glory to God and build up our kids. This, this is important because the culture, any culture is defined by the stories it tells. The stories of the culture define that culture. And so, in your family, the stories, whatever you talk about, if, if, if you pull off, you may not be that perfect look of the dinner table, you know, with the centerpiece. But as you sit around the dinner table, as you sit around, what stories do you tell? Those stories are crucial to handing off to the next generation who God is and what He's like, and what He's done, and how He works. God's given us stories in the Bible to share. You know, there's, there's great stories 
And these stories that you read about in the Bible, they shape our understanding of God's love, His mercy, His justice, who He is, His character. We understand more about Him. It helps to know these stories and begin to pass them on to our kids. Pass them along. You know, the fascinating thing about the Bible is they're less than perfect people who experience God's love. They're loved and used by God for His purpose, a purpose way beyond themselves. Great stories. We can talk about these. If we aren't walking with God and trusting Him, we won't have much to tell. We won't have many stories about Him. But as we trust God, with the flow of life, we will build a treasure trove of these stories. We have to remember to trust God in the midst of whatever's going on. We have a story. A story. Uh, Thad and I were on a trip one time. We were taking a pre-high school, you're growing into a man trip, to uh, Northern California. And one of the things we wanted to do, we wanted to go to uh, Pac Bell baseball park called AT&T Park, I think now. They change names according to who has the most money to name the thing. Um, anyway, we were, we were fishing. We were salmon fishing. We got up like four or five in the morning. We went salmon fishing. It was, unfortunately, we didn't catch anything. We were going to try to get to Pack Bell by, somebody told us four o'clock we had to be there. There, it was Sold out. It was like the second year of its existence. It was all sold out. And they only had like these 500 seats, but you had to get in line for the 500 seats every day. And so on our way to Pac Bell, I, I said, hey, you know, we need to call them and find out for sure it's 4 o'clock. Well, no, it's not 4 o'clock. We find out it's 2 o'clock. And so at this point, you know, I'm going, oh, no, <laughs> we not, this might not go well. That's thing. Hey, Dad, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. I said, I don't know. So let's just pray. Let's just pray about it. I, I don't know. I don't feel that great about it, honestly. I didn't say that. I was thinking it. So let's, let's just pray, okay? And so uh, we, we prayed, and we got there. We're in line, and we're, we're back far enough in the line that we're thinking, I don't know if we're going to get in. You know, do you think we're going to get in? Actually, everybody, we're having a discussion with everybody around. Do you think we're close enough? I don't know. It's, it's close. You know, we're not sure. So we're standing there, and scalpers are coming by. That's illegal. So I kept saying, no, don't want to buy the scalp tickets and all that kind of stuff. Then a man came up, and he said, hey, are, do you and your son want to go to the game? And I, I thought he was going to scalp his tickets. I said, hmm. And he said, no, no, I, I want to give my season tickets to a father and his son. So we got out of line, <laughs> went to the front, got in the game, and God bless that. God honored it. That's a story. If you don't trust God, in that moment, I trusted God. We asked God for help. He came through. That's a story that I can tell. Someday when Blake cares, he's three, and when Jeremy cares, he's 18 months. And then, Lord willing, we have another child on June, uh, another grandchild, sorry. <laughs> I got, that's a whole other message, keep the boundaries, okay? That's another one. <laughs> I'll tell that story someday. That's a great story of God's faithfulness. Yeah, does it really matter? I mean, we could have lived without the tickets, but God blessed us with them. That's what we do. We build stories 
if if you trust God every day, you, you're building a treasure trove of stories of God's work in your life. Knowing God is a treasure. And what he's doing is he's trying to help you build a treasure trove that you can hand off to your kids. Our stories can show his worth to our children, his value, how, how great he is, his faithfulness. A godly inheritance, we're, we, we, as we walk with God, doesn't mean we're perfect. Being godly doesn't, certainly doesn't mean you're perfect. What it means is you live a God-referenced life. You, you live your life thinking, what, what does God want me to do here? How do I live this? Boy, I need help. God, would you help me? God, would you help me to work this out before you? A godly inheritance is a treasure that does not fade, and we can hand that to our kids. A godly inheritance holds its value. It doesn't fade. It doesn't diminish. It's not made by human hands. A major way we pass this along to our kids is to share the stories of His faithfulness in our family. To know the stories of Scripture and to share those as well. And to reference Him as we live life. This psalm also reminds us that to uh, impact the next generation, we, we need to live God's commands and explain them to our kids. He commanded our fathers to teach to their children uh, these commands that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandments. In this passage, we see that God wants us to think about how today's obedience impacts the generations to come. Because it does. As, as you live your life one day at a time, you can be building a legacy to hand on to the future generations. You see this in history. There's a couple examples I'd like to point out of the generational impact throughout history of living a godly life, a God-referenced life. The family of Jacob in the Old Testament is one example. It says in Deuteronomy 10.22, Your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. This was spoken to a man named Jacob, whom... When he met God, Jacob had a mixed track record, to say the least. Not perfect at all. His, his name, Jacob, means supplanter or schemer, conniver, deceiver. He is a twin, and he was born holding on to the heel of his brother who was born first, which sort of symbolized what he was going to become, like a guy who tried to cheat him out of his rights. That's what he did. That was Jacob. But he met God, and God changed him, and he changed his name from, from Jacob to Israel. And Israel means one who struggles with God. And so he, the idea is he actually wrestled with God before he surrendered to him, and that's what we all do. You know, the problem isn't that we're not perfect, but the problem is that we don't ever get to the point of surrender with God. I need to surrender to you, God. I'm st I, we struggle. We all struggle with doing life His way. But what He wants is He wants us to get to the point where we say, "Okay, God, I'm going to go. I'm I'm going Your way." And we say that one big time when we decide to follow Christ. But then we have to keep saying it every every day as we hit these intersections and crossroads of 
God's way, my way, anyway. Anyway, uh, Jacob became Israel. He was a schemer, liar, manipulator. But God got his attention, and he decided to turn from his sketchy past to live God's way. And what happened? He went from 70 persons, a very small family, to a family as numerous as the stars. His sons became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they had a major impact on history. It's interesting. I listened to a Christian survey of world history this week. And um, if you're Scottish, you're going to love this. But the guy said that the two peoples who've made the most impact in the world are the Scots are the Scots and the Jews. And the, the, the Jewish folks have made a tremendous... These, these are his descendants, Jacob's descendants. God takes us like we are. If we choose to live for Him, He fulfills His purpose in our lives and beyond. You can see this. You can see this in Scripture. You can also see it in real life. Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor. He's a famous pastor. If you've ever gone to graduate school, seminary like I have, you know of him. Probably read his sermon. He's got a very scary title, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And uh, he, he, he has this famous sermon made a lot of impact in his life for the kingdom, for the good of the kingdom. Edwards uh, lived in the first half of the 1700s. He and his wife Sarah devoted much of their time to creating an environment at home where their 11 kids would learn God's ways. And there's a man named A.E. A. Winship who studied his life because of the impact of his, the generations that followed Jonathan Edwards made such an amazing impact that Winship decided to study. He was an educator, and he tried to study it to figure out what happened here. These, the, the, the descendants of this guy, the, these, this couple, they are amazing. So what happened? Here, here's their family tree. In their family tree, there was one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges. This is by the year 1900. 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. Winship, he was primarily trying to see, for the sake of education and how to, how to build education systems, what in the world happened there. And his, one of the conclusions he drew was this. He was trying to learn how they left such a legacy, and he said this, Jonathan Edwards was a very godly man, but he was also uncommonly hardworking, intelligent, and moral. But then, as he looked at what was going on in the family life, this is what he said, much of the capacity and talent, intensity, and character of the more than 1,400 of the Edwards family is due to Mrs. Edwards. He looked at the way she related to the kids and how she handled things. So if you're a mom, you're probably in the middle of a less than perfect reality. But the role you play is crucial. The role that moms and dads play in the life of their children. is a, It's a privilege. Children are a reward. But what a difference over the years we can make in the lives of our families. In these examples, you see the possibilities. God wants to bless those who choose to follow Him. And regardless of your past, your future, and the generations that follow can be impacted 
by the good choices you make today, by the ripple effect that flows out of what you decide today. God wants to help with this. He has a remarkable way of weaving the past, the good and the bad, into a story worth telling to those who fear him and trust him. He can make a really good story. God writes a good one every time. It starts with a choice to trust and obey him. In the, the, the weddings I perform, I have a leadership commitment that I include. And the man makes a commitment for the family uh, as the head of the family. And it comes from Joshua 24:15. I ask the, the man, I ask, how, how do you intend to lead your family and this household? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a decision. We make a choice. We don't follow Him perfectly. But if you'll choose to follow Him regardless of the flow of culture, if you say, I will live by God's design and God's will, regardless of what's going on around me, if you'll do that, the future brightens for you and the generations that follow you. God really works to write a good story. I'd like to wrap up the message by asking you to think through some next steps. And I have some included on the listening guide and on the connection card. If you would pull out the connection card, look it over. If you need to finish completing any information, that'd be great. Or if you'd like to let us know about one of these next steps you'd like to take, um, I'd like to ask you to do that as the band comes up to get ready to, to lead us in some singing in a moment. My next step today is, first of all, memorize Joshua 24:15. Make that decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Second, I want to faithfully pray to have a generational impact. You can look at Psalm 78 and ask God to help you with those things. God, help me incline my ear to your words. Help me learn to communicate what you've done in my life and Share that with the kids. Help me to share the stories. Help me to try, help me to remember you that in the middle of right here, this situation I'm dealing with, I can trust you. And as I trust you, I'll learn who you are. You'll come through and I can share that with the kids. Would you, would you help me remember that and do that and pass that along? And then finally, I want to trust God with my life and the story he wants to complete through me. That's another step you could take. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for... The truth we see in your word and how you are so gracious that no matter what's going on in us, in our family, whatever's gone on in our history, in our past, you're, you're willing to help us if we'll turn to you, surrender our own lives, trust you with them, and, and set out to live your way, God. You, you really want to work in us on our behalf. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us and that you would give us the strength to do what you've laid on our hearts today to do and help us to honor you most of all because you're so worthy of honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen.